and welcome to the Is That So podcast. My name is Sohela and I am the host and chief content officer here at the Is That So podcast. Follow along each week as I share stories, pose questions, and provide insights on various wellness, travel, and relationship topics aimed to help us all navigate through this rapidly evolving modern world a little bit easier. Here at the Is That So podcast, we believe that life should always be a work in progress. So come learn, laugh, and listen in on unfiltered stories and conversations so that we can open new doors to inspiration, happiness, and forward thinking together. Hello, and welcome back to the Is That So podcast. Today on the podcast, I have invited certified life coach Kim Kimball to come on the show and teach us all about the different attachment styles people can have in various relationships in their lives. Kim Kimball is best known for helping ambitious women heal their codependent and hyper-independent behaviors so that they can have thriving relationships with partners, family, friends, and colleagues. She uses mind and body-based approaches to coach women to understand the why behind their behavioral patterns. Welcome, Kim. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast and volunteering to teach us about attachment styles. But before we get into all of that, I would love it if you could share your origin story of how you became a coach. Yeah, I would love to. So at the point in time in my life, right before I became a coach, I had a couple of different, I would label them traumatic experiences back to back. Mm -hmm. So the first one was that my parents, who were in a very happy marriage for 41 years, went through a really sudden divorce. Oh, wow. And that sent me reeling, obviously. And then mm -hmm. I was in a relationship with a partner at the time that I thought was leading towards marriage. And we mm -hmm. went on an extended three-week-long trip to Southeast Asia together. Mm -hmm. And I swore that I was going to come back engaged. And I was so happy for sort of that change in my life. And yeah. I was also really unhappy in certain areas of my life. And I think unconsciously I had in my mind that going through that life change would make me happier in other areas, that I wouldn't have mm -hmm. to change these other areas that I was unhappy with because getting engaged and getting married to the person that I loved was going to sort of change Fix all of that. that, right? Fix yeah. that, right. Or give you a sense of security, I suppose. Exactly. Um, and instead of getting an engagement ring, I got broken up with in Thailand. And oh my goodness. I ended up flying back on the plane to the United States by myself um, with an empty seat beside me. And be with these two incidences being so back to back, it was so jarring. And like I said, I was already I kind imagine. of, yeah, already kind of unhappy in these other areas of my life. It really forced me to do this really deep dive of okay, what isn't working? What do I need to do here? And at that point, I quit my job at the time. And I went backpacking around the world by myself for a solid four months. So mm -hmm. I had my own little eat, pray, love journey, I guess you could yeah. say. Um, and <laughs> what were you doing professionally before that point? I was a doctor of physical therapy. Okay. Yeah. So um, that gave you some expertise in the mind-body connection a little bit. Absolutely. And I actually still practice physical therapy in a part-time basis because mm -hmm. I do think they are two professions that really complement each other and really lend to a more holistic understanding of things, yeah. if you would. Yeah. So during that time when I was backpacking around the world by myself, it was kind of some of the first times where I didn't have these outside influences and pressures, if you would, because I mean, I had an ocean between me and everyone that I knew, right? Yeah. 
So I got really sick. Was this the first time you, sorry to interrupt. Was this the first time that you traveled solo? So yes and no. So I actually lived in Spain by myself Mm -hmm. as well after I graduated undergrad, but I was there with other people, right? I wasn't, I, you know, I, I formed a community there and while I did, you know, start out going there by myself, I obviously didn't end up being there by myself. Mm-hmm. So I say yes and no for that reason. I did move to Spain solo and live there for about a year and a half. Um, mm-hmm. But just by virtue of building community there, it didn't feel as much of a solo time as this particular trip did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So during that trip, you know, I obviously got really super clear on my values, on what I actually wanted, on what actually needed to change. And then it was kind of a freak thing that when I came back, I decided that I wanted to build a business. I enrolled in this course and through the course, I actually ended up finding out about life coaching. I actually didn't even know what it was before then. And I had someone that was gracious enough to say, oh, here, I'll let you experience a session and mm-hmm. did a session with me. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience, Ohela, where you kind of just feel like everything clicks into place all at once. And that's what it felt like to me when I had my first coaching session. And I was, I, I knew that it was my calling. I knew that it was my yeah. path. I, it's so funny you said that. I read this quote the other day and it said, life has a way of testing your will by either having nothing happen at all or by everything happening all at once. Oh man. Yeah. Ooh, I feel, I got tingles with that. Yeah. That resonates on a deep level, but mm-hmm. it was one of those things that felt like everything really clicked into place for me. And so I went through my coaching program, my certification program, which was very strenuous and also the best thing I've ever done and just revealed so much about myself through the process. And yeah, that's sort of my origin story of how I became a coach. It's one of those like blow things up, burn things down and see what comes out the other side. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I love how you took like one of the most difficult things in your life and you turned it into something that actually became one of the best things to happen in your life. And, and I was, I'm curious because you related your trip to Eat, Pray, Love. So what was it that you really learned and took away about yourself and your values and how, I guess, even you were conducting relationships through traveling and going on that trip? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, the biggest takeaway from me, I love this question and I haven't thought about this in a while. So thank you for asking it. But I feel like the biggest takeaway for me was how much lack of trust I was operating in, in my life before that trip. And everything was like very controlled and predictable. And on this trip, it really required so much surrender of me. And required so much of trusting not just myself and my ability to navigate challenges, whatever they may be, but really trusting my fellow man, right? Of like, I don't know you, but I'm hoping that you give me directions and I'm hoping that you send me on my way, you know, to a place where I can stay or I'm really dependent on your generosity in a way that I never had been. And Mm -hmm. really seeing time after time after time how everything worked out and how everything was okay without my like white knuckling it was a huge yeah. lesson for me. That was probably my wow, biggest takeaway. I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Are you in a relationship today? Yeah, I am happily married in a committed marriage partnership today. 
Nice. And so what have you, congratulations, by the way, I don't know how long ago you were married, but (laughs) thank you. um, How is this relationship different from your past relationship? I'm sure you've done a lot of healing and growing since that trip, but you know, occasionally, or like if you haven't healed fully all your wounds, people tend to repeat certain Mm -hmm. patterns. So what's different between this relationship and that one? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, so much. And I think what you said, Sohela, is really important to bring up, you know, and say, I I did go on such a deep inner healing journey. Mm -hmm. After this, you know, the relationship before I met my husband, I really got so clear on, wow, like what things did I have going on within me to to Mm -hmm. attract this type of relationship or even like, how did I get here type of a moment, right? Of like, how did things get this bad that I'm left alone in Thailand? And really getting so clear on like, what red flags for me seemed green, because they were normal to me, right? So the things that are very, very different in my current partnership is just because I had gotten so clear on all of those things from the beginning, from very, very early on in my husband and I's relationship, I was so clear on what I wanted and what I didn't want. And instead of playing, you know, in my prior relationship, I would try to really make myself as small as possible. Like, I don't Mm want to be too much. I don't want to be like an emotional train wreck. I don't want to be emotionally needy. I don't want to need too much from him. Maybe if I just minimize myself and take up as little space as possible and I'm, I'm, I'm not any trouble, then he'll love me, right? Then he'll uh, right. care for me. And with my husband, my now husband, from the very beginning, I was so clear on what worked and what didn't work for me. And I was super willing to voice that in a mm-hmm. very clear and confident and obviously kind way, not an overbearing way, but yeah. just being very clear of like, this is what works and this is what doesn't. And and being totally okay with, if that doesn't work for you, then it doesn't work for me. Right. Yeah. Ultimately. And having those standards and boundaries in place, be like, we're not doing this again. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, in my prior relationship, I would self abandon so much for scraps of affection. What does that mean? I would, self-abandon. I would minimize what I wanted, you know, okay. I would totally minimize what I wanted or what I needed. I would try to make myself okay with what was being given to me, even though it wasn't equitable, it wasn't enough. It wasn't making me feel secure. It wasn't making me feel like I matter to this person, but Mm -hmm. in hopes of me eventually mattering or us eventually being what I wanted us to be, I would just completely abandon myself Mm -hmm. and what I wanted and what I needed. Again, minimizing myself. Can you give me like a tangible example? Yeah. So early on in my relationship with this other person, you know, we were at a level where in my mind, I felt like we were exclusive and I wanted us to be exclusive. And yet Mm -hmm. that was never really explicitly stated between us and his behaviors would sometimes indicate that we were and sometimes would indicate that we weren't. And instead of me being able to communicate and have a clarifying conversation and ask 
questions, you know, and obviously those are vulnerable questions to figure out where do we stand? What's going on here? Yeah. Because for me and my heart, I'm at the level where I want to be exclusive. Where are you? I just wouldn't bring those things up because I thought it would make me too emotionally needy or I thought it would scare him away. I thought he would eventually like me enough to want to do that sort of naturally, right? So that's just one tangible example of my needs for security in the relationship and my needs to have things more defined than what they were. I just, I didn't voice them and I would abandon my needs in those situations. Mm -hmm. I know so many people that, that do that. And I probably did that in different ways in my past relationships, but I know a lot of people who like will start dating someone. They'll be like, I don't know, like, are we exclusive? Mm-hmm. Are we not exclusive? And, and that's even just a hard conversation to have because you'd hope you'd be into someone and they'd be 100% into you back and you would just know that so clearly and, and confidently. And sometimes that's not the case. Yeah, it's not. And, and you are always worthy of having that conversation. If that's something that's in your heart, any time that's in your heart is a good time to be able to bring it up. You don't have to wait to a certain period of time, right? Yeah. Um, And that's the thing, like maybe it's the waiting that makes you feel more vulnerable and more insecure about asking those questions is because you're investing more and more into this person and they haven't invested back into you and you're ignoring your intuition about it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So some of the other things, you know, like I equated him being emotionally unavailable with love Mm -hmm. because my dad was emotionally unavailable. So that felt Mm -hmm. normal to me for Mm -hmm. men. So this is another thing of like I was saying, there was red flags that felt like green to me because they were my normal Um, chaos and drama in the relationship felt safe and normal again because that was my home environment. And Mm -hmm. by the time that I met my husband, all of those red flags felt like red flags to me. I had done enough inner healing where um, if that was happening, it wouldn't be something that I would not notice and it wouldn't be something that I would let slide. And and I would certainly be having a conversation around something like that. Mm -hmm. So did your inner healing include learning and identifying your attachment style? You know, funnily enough, my learning my attachment style honestly did not come until later when I was already married. Mm -hmm. And my husband and I had some difficulties and challenges that we were going through, like everyone does in marriage. (laughs) Um, And we just had these like negative cycles of communication that, that honestly, it feels like a crazy cycle that you, that you go in and you're like, why does this keep happening? Why do we keep having these circular conversations that just seem like we go into them? We can't get out of them. There's no productivity to them. There feels like there's Mm -hmm. no resolution. We're going round and round. And that's actually how I found my attachment style was getting really frustrated with these negative communication cycles in my own marriage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just trying to understand like the benefits of understanding your attachment style. How does it help you communicate with your partner better? Yeah. So essentially you can sort of think of attachment styles as really a way to explain the stress you experience in your relationships Okay. And a way to understand the behaviors you use to manage that stress in your relationships. Mm -hmm. It really helps you define how you show up in relationships Mm -hmm. and really what makes you feel safe and secure 
in your mm-hmm. relationships. So essentially, when you understand both yours and another person's attachment style, what really happens is it's almost like a user manual okay. for yourself and for your partner of how to make both yourself and them feel safe and secure in the relationship. Okay. And mm-hmm. not only that, but when you understand that person's attachment style, it really helps you to like the other person. And I don't mean this in a bad way. I feel like it can come off badly, but it's not meant in a bad way. It almost makes both your and your partner's behavior really predictable in yeah. a good way of, oh, I know that when they're doing this, that this is an underlying need that they have. And this is why they're behaving this way. And out of love for that person, I know how to respond to that based on a way that allows me to meet their needs and make them feel more safe and secure, right? Yeah. Yeah. I like the way you phrase that because I feel like understanding anything and just knowing things about people, people can manipulate it if they want, but like you can manipulate people's love languages, you know, be like, oh, okay, this person's needy and I'm just going to, you know, pummel them with love in the way that they like it so that they can leave me alone and have an affair on the side or whatever. Like if people want to use information in a negative way, they can do that. But If you use it in a loving way, like you just said, I think that anyone can actually improve their relationships that way. And I don't think it is manipulation. Yeah, it's more what I would say is it's, you know, I firmly believe that love and being in a loving, intimate partner with someone Mm -hmm. is really about understanding them and seeing them, right? Mm -hmm. And witnessing them. And really all we ever want when we're in a love relationship is to be seen, to be understood. um, Yeah to be mirrored back to ourselves and our goodness and Mm -hmm. understanding these things about the other person. It's not like holding up a character, you you know, like you're saying, it can be used as a weapon. If, if you're thinking of the attachment styles as some sort of inherent flaw in the person, right? Yeah. But that's not what we're saying. We're saying that these early experiences and really these experiences throughout this person's life with relating has has given them these adaptive strategies for managing their stress in their relationship and is going to make them characteristically behave in certain ways right, more often than right. not. And knowing yeah. that about the person really helps you to see them and love them and care for them where they're at in a way that makes them feel safe and secure, not using right. it as a weapon against them. Yes. And I'm sure it, it actually evokes like a lot of compassion for them because like you said, growing up, your father's attachment style made you think that that was a green light. Yes. But really, it was a red light. And you didn't even realize that because we're all influenced by different aspects of our lives, our families, our colleagues, our friends, and they all impact how we feel about ourselves and our own attachment style. And so if you're trying to understand your own attachment styles to better understand your behavior or why you're attracting certain partners or why you and your partner are not meshing on certain subjects or communicating properly, then you have to also allow that to be a mirror for your partner and also see, oh, okay, so these were their influences and this is their attachment style because of that. Exactly. Yeah. And it really does Uh, when you can honor that 
about each other. First of all, mm-hmm. honor it about yourself, honor it about the other person and honor the dynamic that you have between you. So I really think of it in, in those three ways, right? It's you, yeah. it's the other person, it's the dynamic that you have between you. It really does, like I said, create safety and security for both partners. And it also actually increases your relational resilience and your ability to handle the relationship and to handle life challenges. So it mm-hmm. makes you more able to communicate and handle challenges that life inevitably throws our way, right? Because just because mm-hmm. we understand each other's attachment styles doesn't mean that life isn't going to have challenges. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> so how did understanding your personal attachment style help you understand your behavior? Yeah, so... Understanding my own personal attachment style made me just have these huge aha moments of, oh, like this is why I do that, right? Um, yeah. Like I, I'm personally an anxious attachment style mm-hmm. and my husband is an avoidant attachment style. And mm-hmm. that is the most oftenly seen pair. Okay. And, and so not only did it help me understand why I did certain things, but it helped me understand dynamics between us and those negative communication cycles and patterns that we went in. It, you know, I'll, I'll give you sort of a tangible example. So okay. people who are anxious um, can really have a tendency to be demanding can be critical. And the reason that that is, is because we feel like if somebody else could just, if the, per, the our partner could just see what we see and could correct it, then we would be okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's this means of control because we feel so anxious. That's the name, right? We mm-hmm. feel so anxious within ourselves that we feel like if the other person and if the external environment would change, then that anxiety would lessen. Mm-hmm. And so being able to know that that anxiety within me was causing me to try to exert external control over my partner and really that that would come out, that anxiety within me would come out in such a way as to be demanding, as to be critical, really helped me to pause and realize what was happening within me, understand Mm -hmm. where it was coming from and be able to communicate my very valid need in a different way other than the demanding and the controlling that was that kind of constant undercurrent that was there previously that I couldn't see. Right. 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 Okay. Okay. I feel like we're sort of getting into it, but we haven't like fully gotten into it. So what are the attachment styles? Yeah. So (laughs) the attachment styles are anxious, which Mm -hmm. I've already said I am. Yeah. Avoidant, which I've already mm-hmm. said my partner is, um, yep. disorganized and secure. Mm-hmm. So are there, okay. there are those four different types. Okay. Um, and I can go into, if it would be helpful, just sort of different behavior traits that are typically seen in each of the types will help sort okay, of let's illustrate do that. Yeah. it. Yeah. So the anxious types typically feel really dependent on their partner for their self-worth Okay. They tend to be really emotionally sensitive individuals. As mm-hmm. I already said, they can be very demanding. They can be very critical. Um, mm-hmm. They can be overly needy of their partners. They have this inner fear of losing the relationship, a constant okay. fear of abandonment. Okay. You can, the, the people who are anxious can often feel like 
be really overly responsible and feel like the whole weight of the relationship is on them, that they're the one fighting oh. for emotional closeness, okay. that I need to be responsible for sort of making this relationship work, if you would. Okay. That sounds a lot like codependency. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And okay. they also fight really hard to get attention and approval from their partner. So I would okay. definitely say that people who are codependent most often fall underneath this anxious attachment style, a thousand percent. Okay. And you can have this kind of attachment style with friends. So yes. you could have this kind of like anxiousness or need of approval from certain friends in your life or colleagues. Absolutely. And stuff like that. It is not just romantic partnerships. Um, okay. You know, even, even mentors, clients, bosses, friendships, family. Yeah. Yes, this is not just for romantic partnerships. Do people have different attachment styles for, let's say, their family than they do their boyfriend or girlfriend? Typically, when you are an attachment style, you're kind of it across the board. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay. What was the next one? The avoidant? next one is avoidant. Mm -hmm. And those who are avoidant, the, the like biggest characteristic of avoidant attachment style is that they have a lot of difficulty naming and identifying and expressing their emotions. Okay. So they've never really learned how to do that. Mm -hmm. They tend to be hyper-independent, very self-reliant, and they really love to leave or avoid conflict at all costs. Conflict makes them extremely anxious. They have mm -hmm. a hard time getting close. They get defensive when there is conflict. Yeah. They feel like they there's a lot of sense that if there is conflict that they are being criticized and that they they want to defend against feeling like a failure. Mm. Um, so interesting because I felt like when you were talking about your first relationship, you were avoidance. And then your second relationship or your current marriage, you were like more anxious. Mm. Yeah. So that can kind of segue us into the disorganized attachment <laughs> extremely <Okay>. well. <laughs> so the disorganized actually has characteristics of both the avoidant and the anxious types. Okay. And you seek both closeness and you avoid closeness. So there's this feeling of like push and pull of mm -hmm. like, I don't need you, but when you're running away, come back to me. Right. Yeah. So these people feel anxious, but they're also sometimes avoidant. And there tends to be an even more escalated feeling of anxiety inside, even than just the anxious attachment and a really intense fear of rejection for these folks. Mm -hmm. So there's a much smaller percentage. I believe it's only like three to five percent of the population that's a disorganized attachment. Yeah. So it's a much smaller percentage of people that have that. But it is a thing. And I swing more to the anxious, but I certainly have. So good for you for noticing this, but I certainly <laughs> have some avoidant characteristics. Yes. I don't know if good for me, but it's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then obviously stable is pretty stable. <laughs> yeah. The, the secure people can communicate their feelings directly. They feel comfortable mm -hmm. doing that. They feel emotionally close to their partner. They're flexible and cooperative. The, the really biggest characteristic of them is that they feel that their partner will be there for them when they need them. Mm -hmm. And the word that I really like to use for these folks is that they're interdependent. They know how to be both attached and independent simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that. Mm -hmm. So that's the goal, I guess. Yes. 
Crazy. I mean, not crazy, but awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's the word I'm looking yeah. for. So obviously my next question is how do we change or improve our attachment style so that we can bring more harmony into like ourselves and feel less anxious or the need for extreme independence? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, the first thing that I want to say, and I feel, I feel that just prompted to say is like I was talking about a little bit throughout our podcast is making sure not to view any of these things as a character flaw Mm -hmm. and really not approaching it from this view of like, I need to fix myself. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because I think the way and the manner in which we approach things really matters and it, it can really change how you feel throughout the process. And obviously it can change the outcome as well. So just mm-hmm. coming to this with an air of curiosity, with exploration, with non-judgment, mm. with so much love and compassion for yourself of understanding yeah. really why these tactics feel good and why these tactics feel necessary, right? Yeah. So just starting that from the outset. And also, I feel like I want to say that, you know, when we have wounding in relationship where all of these insecure types of attachments do come from wounding in relationship, wounding yeah. in the context of relationship, when we have wounding in relationship, you know, healing has to happen in relationship as well, right? Yeah. We hear that all the time and I know it can seem trite and I want to make sure and say that that doesn't necessarily have to be in the realm of romantic partnership, but mm-hmm. I truly believe that healing happens in relationship if wounding happened in relationship, right? So all of those sort of preambles aside, the biggest ways that I have found to make the biggest difference as far as moving you towards a more secure attachment style in your relationships, mm-hmm. the biggest thing for me is nervous system regulation. And the reason being when people are either anxious or avoidant or disorganized, Your nervous system when you're in those states is stuck in fight or flight mode. Mm -hmm. And so you're in this activated state. And when you're stuck in fight or flight mode, our cognitive rational part of our brain isn't really online, right? We're simply in survival mode. We're simply in hypervigilant mode. And when we're in hypervigilant mode, we're going to sort of like be scanning our environment for the worst case scenarios, for danger, for threat. And we're really looking at our relationships as a threat to our safety, right? Yeah. And so really coming to a place of doing a lot of somatic work and a lot of nervous system regulation, to me, has been the thing that helps me and my clients probably the most. Because so many times, you know, we can think about like, what's the number one thing you hear about improving relationships? Most of the time people will say communication, right? Mm-hmm. Communication is the key. And I am not knocking communication. I think it's so, so important. But when you're in an activated state, it, communication isn't even online, right? <laughs> communication isn't something that you can really work on super well when you're in a nervous system state of fight or flight, right? Right. So that nervous system work, that somatic work, increasing your capacity, emotional regulation is also really high up on the list. So for example, for people who are anxious attachments, it's learning how to self-soothe, right? Of not needing to externally control the other person or the external environment, but learning how to actually soothe ourselves so that our nervous system can get in a more regulated state 
so that we're not then in turn having to exert this external control, right? Okay. And then for the the avoidant people, it's something more along the lines of um, really learning how to identify what they're even feeling, getting more in touch with that somatic body. And then in turn, once they do that, learning how to actually express that to another person with Mm -hmm. kindness. So for on both ends of the spectrum, emotional regulation is really important, just in a little bit of a different way. And what are some good emotional regulation techniques? So I tend to really, again, gravitate towards more somatic tools. So for example, if you're an anxious partner in the relationship, Mm -hmm. And let's yeah. say your partner does something and because you're anxious, you're pretty in tune with your emotions and yeah. you know that you're flooded with emotion right now. You're feeling super anxious. And those moments, I would say, you know, going and, and having some privacy time and really allowing those emotions to run through you. Because a lot of times what people will do is they'll stuff it, right? And they, they won't want to explode. They won't want to Um, scream or yell or cry to their partner, which of course we never want to take someone out on somebody else. I'm not, I'm never advocating for that. But what I am saying is being able to go into a room by yourself, get some privacy and allow those motions to run through you. And when you do that, you know, research has shown that the pure emotion within itself will only take 90 seconds to run through us. It's when we attach story to our emotions that, you know, we can end up getting uh, stuck and just um, having those things sort of stuck in that running in the background all the time. So Mm -hmm. that may be screaming a silent scream into a pillow. It may be actually allowing yourself to cry, right? Um, Something that I take my clients through a lot is if you feel like you have a lot of like charge in your system is the way that I know how to say it. You, you feel like a live wire inside you, which, you know, is very typical of, of the anxious attachment style, really allowing yourself to consciously shake is huge because that discharges and allows the energy to complete instead of getting stuck in your system. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we will see that a lot. And this is from the book. Peter Levine talks about this a lot. A lot of somatic practitioners talk about this a lot from the book Waking the Tiger. When we see animals, for example, let's say a lion catches a gazelle. Yeah. And the gazelle actually manages to get free because the lion gets distracted. Once the yeah. gazelle runs off to safety, that gazelle will shake. It will physically discharge all of that fight or flight energy as a means to complete, right? But we as humans, we've become so tame or like we we want to appear like we have it all together and we've made- We um, internalize it. Yeah, and so we just, we stuff it down and we internalize it because we want to appear a certain way. And that's why I say go behind closed doors and allow that nervous system response to actually complete itself and and do some shaking, right? Yeah, well, it's so funny because sometimes I feel like and it goes both ways because my boyfriend, he calls me the angry hiker because angry anytime hiker. like I, yeah, because anytime like I exert myself by hiking, I get, I seem to be angry the entire time because I'm thinking through things. But also when I'm angry and I go for a run, I'm exerting myself and the whole time I'm just like thinking about the thing that I'm angry about. And then at the end of the run, I have exhausted all of that anger and then I can like rationalize a proper approach to the situation. 
Yeah. So you're allowing it to run through you. You're giving it a channel through which Mm -hmm. to move is what you're doing. And you're not forcing yourself, like you said, to logic your way through it in those moments. You're allowing it to be a body-based response that needs to complete itself. And then once it's done that, then you can think clearly. Imagine that, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And then if I'm hiking, usually by the time I get to the top, I'm a lot calmer too. And it it could be something living in my subconscious that I haven't actually addressed yet, but has been there and physically putting myself through something that is stressful unlocks it, I guess. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's crazy how your body can hold on to things sometimes. It does. It holds on to everything. And it's also kind of our wisdom map if we let it be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what mm-hmm. I was going to say, too, for the avoidant folks. I don't want to just talk about the anxious folks. Um, yeah. <laughs> for the avoidant folks, you know, it really the practice for them is just learning to, to do a body scan and yeah. really, really asking themselves, like, what do I feel? And seeing, like, does this feeling within me, does it have a size? How much space does it take up? Does it have a shape? Does it have a color? Mm -hmm. Um, Does it move? If this had a voice, what would it say? And really learning to do some of these more somatic-based exercises just to start to get more in tune and familiar with your body sensations and what they're trying to communicate to you. Yeah. And maybe just if you're avoidant, it sounds to me also like you're not fully in tuned with your inner dialogue when it comes to understanding your your own emotions, because obviously you're trying to avoid conflict and, and getting into conflict. So it's it seems like maybe your feelings were not validated. Yeah. And so to validate you know, like you're allowed to feel any way about anything. You're worthy of those feelings, but also feelings can just be feelings. Yeah, They don't have to take over your entire world or like you don't have to own all of them. Sometimes I get emotional, but it comes and goes. Sometimes I think like, oh, today I'm having a tough day, but you know, I also suffer from depression. So other days I'm having a good day and some days you just feel off, but I'm allowed to have good days and bad days and have feelings, but they don't also necessarily need to stay. Absolutely. And I, I, I thank you for bringing up that point. I think it's really beautiful, the self-validation that it's okay to have feelings. And I also think it can be really beautiful. For example, if an anxious and an avoidant person are partnered, like my husband and I are, Mm -hmm. for them to start to have safe experiences where they experience that if they express their emotions, that nothing bad happens, right? Yeah. Because of course, that fear of expressing emotion, it comes from a place where they probably did have a bad experience where there was a fracture in relationship or what have you when they Mm -hmm. did express their feelings. So being able to respect that for the person and being able to build it slowly. So I kind of wove in a little bit of like how that is in the context of another person as well. But of course, starting with that validation within yourself, like you talked about is so crucial. Mm hmm. Yeah. Well, that is so interesting. And I just want to thank you so much for coming on my show and sharing all of this wonderful information. I've really like learned a lot even about myself (laughs) and my own behaviors. And um, I I don't really know what attachment style I am yet. I feel like I'm a a mix, Mm. to be Mm -hmm. honest. But as I get older and understand what I want and and put my foot down, my boundaries down, I better understand myself. And so, yeah, so maybe I'm like getting to stable, but I feel like I might be still 
avoidant. Is that like the most popular one? <laughs> I feel like Avoid- I know a lot of avoidant people. Yes, yes. It is It is super, super popular. And I, to be honest with you, I can't remember whether anxious or avoidant is more popular. I want to say that I think anxious actually is a little more popular, but they're, mm-hmm. they're both way up there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, bringing awareness to this regardless has been amazing and insightful. And I think everyone's going to better understand their own behaviors from this. So I thank you so much for coming on. Before I let you go, though, can you please share with everyone where they can find you online? Yeah. And thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation. The best place to find me online is Instagram. That's where I spend most of my time. And you can find me at Kim Kimball Coaching. So my last name is spelled K-I-M-B-A-L-L. Kim Kimball Coaching, or you can find me at my website, kimkimballcoaching.com. And like always, I'm going to put all of that information in the synopsis of this episode and a link to the show notes. So if you guys want any more information, you can just go there and easily access it. So thank you so much, Kim, for coming on. And I appreciate you giving us the time today and these amazing learnings. Thank you so much. It was a blast. I appreciate it. Take care, hon. You too. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Is That So podcast. For more information on this episode and all past episodes, you can check out my show notes on isthatso.com or follow me on Instagram at isthatso. If you enjoyed this episode and want to show your personal support to the podcast, simply leave a review on iTunes or screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your stories. All right, friends, that's it. Tune in next week for another episode of the Is That So podcast, and I look forward to hanging out with you again soon.